Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. Last we saw this pair of children, four and five years old, a boy and a girl, were abandoned in a forest, and they were crying and yelling. They were hungry. And surprisingly enough, a blind beggar found them and gave them food. And perhaps even more surprisingly enough, when this pair of children asked the already established as generous beggar to take them back with him, he refused and added that he blessed them that they would be like him, that they would be old like him. And he left them some more bread to eat and went on his way. And Rabbi Nachman told us, these two children realized that God had provided for them. These Milahem Betler, Iver, and had provided them or made available to them this blind beggar, Bekan, even in this place, to give them food to eat. Afterwards, the bread was all eaten up. And they once again started to cry out for food. You notice that they're crying out now, but they're not They're not weeping. They're yelling, screaming perhaps, but not weeping. And this might be some small amount of forward movement. Maybe when they realized that Hashem was taking care of them, their crying was a little less based upon fear that it wouldn't happen, perhaps a little more just to let it be known that they're hungry. But they're four and five. So if they hadn't said that they had realized that Hashem had taken care of them, it wouldn't be relevant to wonder about their development. But since they did notice that, we could wonder whether or not that has become a part of their reality. Nevertheless, afterwards it became night, and they slept there. And in the morning also they didn't have food to eat, which makes sense because nothing has happened between when they were crying out and the nighttime. Nevertheless, we are told that they didn't have food in the morning. And they were yelling and crying, so we've returned to that original form of communication of crying out. And along came a beggar who was deaf. One wonders how he heard that they were there. One notices that perhaps he was not responding to their yelling since he couldn't hear it. And they began to speak with him. And he showed them with his hands. And he told them that he did not hear. That he does not hear. And he also gave them bread to eat. And he went on his way. And they, they wished also for him to take them with him. And he did not want to. And he blessed them also. That they will be like him. And he also left bread with them and went on his way. This pattern, which we'll repeat 
five more times, though the telling of it becomes more and more concise as the pattern repeats. We'll continually take this form. The kids will cry out. Someone will find them. He is someone whom to their eye or to their awareness seems disabled. That beggar will provide them with bread. That beggar will refuse to take them home with him. And that beggar will then bless them to be like him. And one can only imagine if someone who seemed broken or disabled gave you a blessing to be like them. It's not necessarily a blessing that you would wholeheartedly say amen to. But at best, if a person were in the right headspace, they might at least hear this blessing as a form of encouragement, as if to say, look, yes, I have a disability, or at least it seems that I have a disability, and here I am. It hasn't limited me in finding you. It hasn't limited me in providing for you. Perhaps you too could take encouragement from my example as someone who, despite, and maybe later on we will learn that not just to be spite, but because of this quote-unquote disability, I have become something else. I have grown. And you too, this being lost and abandoned in the forest certainly seems like a disability, but at least you could hear my blessing as an encouragement to not let this become only a setback, but rather a source of strength. The story continues that the Chazav Kalala HaLechem Etzlam, that once again, the bread was all eaten up. The Chazuv Etzaku Kanal, and they once again, Tzaku, they yelled. The Chazav Etzlam Betlashayakvad Pen, a betler who was of heavy mouth, ostensibly a lisp or a speech impediment, came to them. And they began to speak with him. And he was stuttering with his tongue or in his language. And they didn't know what he was saying. He knew what they were saying. But they didn't know what he was saying. Because he was poetically with his language, with his speech. And he also gave them bread to eat. And he went on his way. Also, And he also blessed them that they will be like him. Their variety of experience, their exposure to a multiplicity of disabilities that have not limited the action, or at least the capacity to provide among these three different beggars, must certainly have made an impression on them. Though he went away, everything as above. And a beggar whose neck was bent came along. And it was also as above. And also a hunchbacked 
beggar came along. The Chazar Uba Betler below Yadayim and a beggar without hands. The Chazar Uba Betler below Raglayim and a beggar without feet or without legs. How does that guy get there? And each of them, each of these beggars gave the children bread. And they blessed them that they will be like them. Everything as above. Again, in addition to whatever particular blessing each particular beggar is going to give, the collective experience of these different beggars must have conveyed to these children a sense of trust. Eventually, they're noticing the pattern. Eventually, they would hopefully reach the point where they don't have to despair in between feedings, so to speak. They might need to communicate, but they don't need to despair. This is an important lesson that people talk about in terms of prayer, and it reminds us of the experience of the Jewish people in the wilderness after they left Egypt. Repeatedly, we find this pattern where they run out of food or water, and they scream, and they carry on. And it's not just communication that they're doing there, but it's complaining, and it's fear. They threaten to go back to Egypt several times. Each of these instances, as a reader, we're wishing and hoping that they will get to the next level of communication in which they will trust the listener enough to be able to simply say, I'm in need right now. I need something. Can you help me? I'm hungry. As opposed to the panic, which seems to pervade so much of the communication, if you want to call it that, that's coming out of the Jewish people after they left Egypt. But this young pair of children, four and five years old, it seems that they've probably got it. They've probably realized that Hashem, who they identified in the context of the first beggar who provided for them has continued to provide for them further through the process of feeling that Hashem has provided for them one wonders about the ability to make the meaning of the times in which they were not taken with the beggars and the time in between the encounters with the beggars were they ultimately able to see those as purposeful as well were they able to see the time they spent on their own together also as important and also as a function of divine providence? One wonders. After the giving of the bread of the seventh beggar, they once again ran out of bread. And they began to walk towards civilization. It seems that now they are ready. They are ready to act on their own behalf. They're no longer going to wait for beggars to give them bread. Ad until they came to some path or some road. And they walked along that path. until they came to some village. These two children went into some house. And the people in the house had compassion or mercy on them. And they gave them bread. And they again went to another house. And they also had the same experience. There's something deeply important about these repeated actions that they go through in order for them to internalize and ultimately embody certain truths and certain realities. If only one person had welcomed them into their home, but the second person hadn't, they might not have developed a certain trust in people that would allow them to continue to seek their nourishment in that way. They were begging at the openings, meaning they were going door to door. And they saw that it was good for them or good before them. And they established that they would be together forever. 
This is an important moment in the story. There's a little bit of foreshadowing, but more importantly, it's useful to compare this to another moment in another story of Rabbi Nachman's in which there are two people who form a bond in which they decide and agree that they will stay together forever. This is the story of the sons who were switched. In that story, the son, actual true son of the king, for reasons that it will be difficult to explain at the moment, ends up in a deep forest and he is very scared and he climbs a tree in order to not be devoured by the animals of the forest. And lo and behold, in the tree, he discovers a human. And the humans have a short conversation, establishing in very vague terms what each of them is doing in this tree, in this particular forest, at this particular time. And then they forge a bond and they say, we will be together forever. Here in our story, though, there's an important difference. The bond that's forged between the characters in The Sons Who Are Switched is a bond that's really born of fear. It's a bond that's born of their shared panic, as it were. Here they are, up in a tree, in a forest, in the dark of night, scared, surrounded by danger, and they form a bond. That kind of bond in the Jewish tradition is called achor ba'achor, back to back. It's a pair standing in a combat pose, both back to back so they can, they can protect each other and face whatever enemies surround them. Here, though, in our story, the young children didn't form their bond when they were in the worst situation that they were in. They formed their bond at a time when they had emerged from the forest, found nourishment, found confidence, found faith that they'd be okay. And from that place, seeing a good life, they formed a bond with each other. This kind of bond is called panima panim, face to face. It's not based upon protection. It's based upon love. It's based upon seeing each other, connection. These are some of the ideas that are working inside of the story. They're teaching us important wisdom about safety and faith, connection. And with this, Rabbi Nachman offers us guidance for how to manage our own lostness. Mm-hmm.